So welcome, I'm Ruth Frenger, founder of Conscious Leaders. Now this podcast aims to change the world of work one honest conversation at a time. I hope you enjoy these conversations and they're with proven people leaders running highly successful businesses. And if you're interested in developing your leadership skills further, I've digested the top traits and behaviors of the best people leaders I can find into a book. It was recently a finalist in the Business Book Awards and it's called Next Level Leadership, Nine Lessons from Conscious Leaders. To order your copy, visit consciousleaders.org.uk forward slash book. And you can also subscribe there to my bi-weekly newsletter where I share free content. It's including practical tools to help leaders like you move from good to great. So today I'm pleased to bring you Abdi Teo on this podcast. He is co-founder of design and impact agency Drift Time, and he came up from Brighton to meet me for this interview. And I started by asking him just how he got to where he is now. My whole journey and where I am now is probably known as the more unconventional way of getting here. Um, so I would say I'm not, I'm completely self-taught. Um, I don't have a degree. Uh, I had to work very hard <laughs> um, and I had to fail a lot. Um, and I think because of my background as well, being mixed heritage, there was, there was a lot of kind of barriers as I was kind of going through my career. Um, and I mentioned before, you know, before we started that uh, I've kind of had stints like in London and Brighton and New York and so forth. And um, there was a lot of kind of, uh, I guess, just kind of feeling my way through to what it is I wanted to do. I first started off as a kind of uh, amateur basketball player, wow. um, which, which feels like a whole nother story. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's kind of partly the reason why I was in New York uh, for a scholarship and so forth. Um, long story short, that kind of crumbled. Uh, I went as far as A-levels in terms of my education, studying fine art. Uh, and soon after that, or soon after I returned from New York, I kind of realized there wasn't really much of a career in fine art at that given time. So. For me, it was kind of understanding how I can transition kind of my creative skills into something that felt more practical and design felt like a like an obvious choice. So my journey was just kind of going through it, teaching myself, going through that whole process of blood, sweat and tears, um, getting denied probably every single possible design job I ever applied for at that, at that point um, because I didn't have a degree, because I had a foreign name. Um, and so I just kind of started uh, I guess in some ways created my own luck um, and uh, yeah just started I was big into music as well that was another thing so I had two albums that came out one in the US one in Japan at really? the time wow. um, again what? another story <laughs> you got to tell me what kind of music like oh, what's, it was, the, what's the vibe here I, I grew up in uh, listening to 90s hip hop so that was very much my jam but um, it was it was some MCing but it was uh, a lot of kind of more uh, beat production it was kind of like ambient sort of I guess kind of on the lines of like lo-fi hip-hop today mm. but before I guess lo-fi hip-hop was a thing nice. um, but yeah so there was a point where I had a choice of either pursuing music or pursuing design um, at that time my kind of the whole process of blood sweat and tears was basically designing album covers for a lot of my music friends and that's how I kind of got into design in that sense um, but as I got better, more opportunities started coming, uh, I, I met the right people that gave me opportunities uh, and uh, brought me into their teams and so forth and kind of went through that whole, uh, then it became more conventional, went through that process of kind of you know, going up that kind of career ladder. Um, 
got to the point where um, you know pretty high up global agency working with big brands doing that for a number of years dream job for many people but then hit a saturation point and and just completely falling out of love with all of the work um, it wasn't meaningful it wasn't solving anything it was purely there at least from my interpretation purely there to kind of spend quarterly budgets and just meet the needs of of the big clients and and yeah just kind of just had enough of it had enough of it it wasn't it wasn't quite I think at that point it wasn't quite what I hoped it would be considering the amount of work I had to put in to be there and so there was this kind of question in my head um, and, and and just to point out, so this was the same thing that happened with, with my wife, Sarah, who's also my business partner. We set up the company ourselves, but she hit that same saturation point uh, as, as I did. Um, so we had, there was a sort of question in my head about, like, is this it? Is this what it's supposed to be? This is the design. This is the pinnacle of, like, the design career, you know, being creative director or whatever. Um, and it just didn't, it felt, it didn't feel enough. So we kind of packed everything up. We both left our roles, different agencies. Um, and, and set up our own company. And then from that, from 2016, which is when we set up, we were like, we want to do things that felt purposeful, intentional, and um, felt like it was solving something in the world. Like we're very selective with who we work with. Um, so tell me who an ideal client is. Um, okay, so we have, we, we have a Venn, like probably any designer. Um, we have a Venn diagram, which is basically purpose and intention. And they have to sit within that cross section. The idea is that they have to have, integral to them, they have to have some meaning or purpose. Like what is it fundamentally that business or that brand or whatever it is uh, that believe in, you know, and that's integral to the business. It's the thing. The intention is that they need to solve something specific, like a complex challenge related to their integrity or like, you know, everything in terms of their values. So identifying that is the first thing. And then for us to kind of understand what, what is the moonshot goal that they're trying to do? And then reverse engineer to understand where design can play a meaningful role in helping achieve that. You know, and then kind of you know, figuring out where the blank spots are. You know, things that we wouldn't do, but we may need expertise in, for example. Um, so, so it has to meet that. And anyone who doesn't meet that or it feels gray, you know, it's, it's generally a no, or we run it by the whole team to, for everyone to have a say. So it's pretty democratic in that sense. Yeah, and so bringing this back to employees, because it, it feels like, one of the major issues I think a lot of leaders face is how to give autonomy or how much autonomy to give to my team, my staff, my company. Um, because we know from research by Dan Pink and many others that autonomy, mastery and purpose are key to happiness at work. Mm. We know we need to empower people. We know we need to let go. But yet it, it's something that leaders really need to find their own way with. And I, and I for you, to correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like this is quite been quite in you for a long time but tell me like is this come from childhood the way you were brought up has this come from other role models what enables you to give away power in a in what i would see as a non-egotistical way like my role is just to empower like that's really it like empower all our team members uh, as a team individually and also our, our clients and client partners and even potential prospects, you know, it's really just a case of how do we make what you're doing better, more efficient, you know, how do we scale that up, how do we make that optimise, you know, whatever it might be, but it's really like, my role was to serve, basically. I, I would say also, I don't think, I don't think it was ever in, like, 
in me from the get-go. Um, I feel like, I, so I definitely like even a few years ago, I remember there was a, a internal tug of war going on in terms of um, uh, this idea of control, right? Mm -hmm. but not necessarily power, but just control over control things. Control is about control. Um, and it wasn't really that, but it was more a case of, like the way I framed it back then was standards, you know? we had a very high standard of design, like in terms of what we believed, you know. And so for us, we were very reluctant, firstly, you know, particularly when we were building out the team, how much ownership we give to for the work that's being produced, you know, and the outcomes involved in that, because we want to hold ourselves to a higher standard. We want to make sure that everything we produce is going to be like the best it can be. Um, and so I think for a very long time, I felt like there was a lot that I had to do to hit that standard. To reach that standard. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's only over time that I realized that, you know, I, I think also the hard reality that I can't do everything, you know, like that obviously came knocking at my door very quickly. Um, but this idea of, again, just like empowering people to be them best selves and then being pleasantly surprised by the results that they create and the things that they do and the way they think. Um, and so that, that's, you know, it wasn't a thing that happened overnight, but it's the thing that happened over time as, as we were kind of exploring and as we were trying things and as I was starting to delegate and pass on ownership of like work and projects and so forth. Um, and so I think, I think it's really just that, it's that process of um, like leadership, I think also is the ability to step back, to get out the way basically. So it's like, it's kind of two parts. It's, it's to empower as much as you can, uh, but then to, to get out of the way when you need to, basically, to let the things happen. Um, and so again, it's that sort of idea of creating the space for that. It's like, give them ownership, let them, let them take the work where it needs to go, guide them as best as I can, empower them, you know, in terms of just my own lived experience and how maybe I would think or approach it. Not put too many guardrails up, because again, you need to give them room to fail. Um, but then when it feels like it's heading in the right direction, get out of the way, you know, let them run with it, let them take full ownership and accountability for it. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, I think the more we did that over the last few years, the results have been like really interesting as opposed to, um, what may be typical or conventional or predictable if I just did everything myself, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's those two things. It's this idea of empowering uh, and then getting out of the way. Um, and I think as we adopted those things, this idea of power just wasn't even a thing. It's quite interesting. I, I don't normally notice in a podcast a quote I will take out from you, but <laughs> leadership is about getting out of the way, I think is yeah. certainly one I would get hold of because, and also just to pull out what you said about, this is quite guardrails, right? So got a new new graduate come in a bit green and don't really know, know how to operate in the workplace and um we we've given them maybe um they're in a small team they're maybe a smaller client so that it's not risk maybe not as big i don't know you tell me what what you might do and we might have some guardrails mm -hmm. versus very not necessarily senior but experienced person clearly demonstrated like amazing stuff time after time so little to no guardrails, presumably. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, I mean, starting with the sort of more junior green person, what practically would you do or say with them when 
when you're needing to provide some structure, some ability to to guide and give direction and maybe even do work with so that it's very explicit and mm. watch work and what happens at your company to to help with that? Maybe first and then we can talk about the more experience yeah. and how that can really... So to be completely honest, I think this is something that we've struggled with a lot. Um, and I think because, because we have a high trust model, because there is so much autonomy, um, we almost have to operate to a degree where most people are kind of mid to senior level. Right. So you're having to hire at that level? Yes. Mm-hmm. At, least, at least for now. For now. Because, yeah, because um, we yeah. don't have the time, at least particularly me, I don't have the time to handhold through the process. But what I can do is create an environment where people can learn, you know, and kind of figure things out, you know, with the support of the team. But just not specifically me having to kind of like check everything, you know, because I don't think that's really productive in any way. It's not how you want to operate either, is it? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I think that's something we've historically just struggled with. But the, the way I kind of see it is, so things like the autonomy and giving ownership and control is really just to give, to give again, I keep talking about the space, but giving them the space to make decisions. That's really it. Um, I don't want to be the person that they have to constantly get approval from. You know, like, oh, is it okay to do this? Or should I do this? Or, you know, like, just make the decision. Like, I, I trust you, make a judgment call, and then be prepared if it doesn't work. That's really it. And I think that's part of what it is as well, like, to be able to make a decision, but then also revert on that decision if you need to, if it doesn't feel like it's the right path. And again, that kind of, I guess, that paradigm of, like, being able to figure things out. So with, with, I guess, the levels of staff, like if we're junior level, it would be basically tiers of decision-making. Mm. You know, what is, what is a safe level of decision-making for, for this, this person. particular person yeah. um, where there is some element of risk, but not too much risk that's going to be a huge problem if they get it wrong. You know, and, and I think that changes, that level of risk changes the higher you go up. Yeah, so we've got, so, so we've got, we've got, um, a mid-range um, experienced person and um, big challenging client that happened to be just happens to be a good fit. Um, what are you saying to them at the beginning of that project? Well, depending on what it is. So again, it will be if if there's something again, it's just being transparent, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm just there's trying a- to get yeah, sorry to talk over you there. I'm just trying to get quite because actually we talked about this before. Words are important, aren't they? Yeah. Like how <laughs> we. Um, how we set someone up. Yeah. So it's this idea of, um, uh, what's the saying? It's um, under promise over deliver. Um, but also just being transparent, really. Like it's okay to not know something or to have um, maybe less confidence in a particular thing that they're asking for. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Put it on the table. So if, if we have a big client and they're like, hey, we need this thing, you know, um, pretty high stakes, you know, um, might need it by this time, but it's really important that we kind of win this. We, we would say to them, like, this is something that we're not very comfortable with because there's, there's a lot of unknowns that we, we face within this. Like, typically, you know, for larger companies, um, there's a lot of stuff behind the veil of what it is that they do. Um, and there's so many procedures to get behind that. And it's almost near impossible, you know, unless you're unless you work for that company. So, um, so basically, it would just be a case of like we like unless we can take full ownership of it and accountability, 
um, there's like it's not our place to do that thing, you know. So again, it's just kind of being very clear and transparent around what it is that we can actually control, you know, mm. and particularly for impact. Like, there's no point in us trying to do something with things that we can't control because then there's no guarantee in what the outcome is going to be. Mm. So it's just like sort of an attitude of like, don't bluff it. No, like, like yeah. go and be realistic, be confident. Yeah, you, but, realistic, but confident. Don't... Put on the table and yeah. just tell them. Like, just say like. Here are some things that we can really help with. Yeah. But these things we're, we're completely uncertain about. And so, mm. you know, we, we recommend bringing someone in. We actually know someone that could be really good for this, you know, and might be worth having a conversation with them. We try to fill in the holes, but maybe not take ownership of them, you know, in that sense. And again, it's just that idea of empowering, supporting, like there is an explicit need. It's not a need that we can fulfill. However, what can we do to help them find the right people mm. or, or, you know, to at least get that in place? So to kind of triage the problem clearly rather than you know i feel like a lot of um, i am making generalizations but a lot of agencies will bluff it and be like right we can we can we can we can take this on i'm sure and mm. probably the staff then feel very under pressure yeah because they're like i do not know what i'm doing i literally have no idea but here i am at the pitch mm. saying things i don't mean and that's tough for me now i go home at the end of the day thinking oh shit i'm scared if we win this work yeah it's exactly that though like there's there's no point it's, it's this idea of like, you know, we're talking about language and, and communication. Um, you need to know like this much of a subject. And I guess for listeners, you can't really see, but like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just put, putting my arms apart. Wide wingspan. Yeah. yeah but, you, um, but you only talk about that much, like a very small amount, you know, which gives you a lot of degree to pick other things to um, enrich that conversation. And so... If you put that in the context of like a, a deliverable or a particular skill set or something that you don't normally do, you need to know a lot about it to even promise anything, you know, or to say that you can have a meaningful outcome within that. Um, and if you say yes to things that you're not fully confident in delivering, all that does is damage your reputation. Like that's the one thing that we have that has to be perfect to some degree because if we're talking about impact, we have to be able to deliver some form of, in, some form of impact through design. Um, and the way we measure that, the way we communicate that, the way we storytell it, all that kind of stuff. So those things are hugely important. And if we start to say yes to everything and deliver mediocre work, like I might as well just stay in the agency role, mm-hmm. you know? So, so like a non-compromisable really. In terms exactly, of, yeah. In terms of the impact. But it's just being transparent about it. And it's okay, like, you know, and sometimes it may lead to difficult conversations and that's fine too, just kind of go through it. Like the, the usual outcome of that is just respect. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're very clear and upfront with that prospect, with the team, whatever it might be, and just say, hey, these are things that, you know, we don't do or like feel a little bit uncomfortable in doing, um, they would appreciate you for being honest with them. Mm. They're not going to be saying, oh, I'm really disappointed that you couldn't do this thing that you're not very good at doing. Mm. You know, like it's sort of, it just doesn't make any sense. So I think, yeah, there's that idea of communication and transparency is super mm. important always yeah and difficult conversations are like time and time again it feels like this is where um companies and leaders fall down especially i'm going to generalize again being british <laughs> we like being nice we like being amenable yeah so we end up with this kind of um insincere niceness yeah where we're very nice to everyone but we haven't we haven't told them the hard stuff and i think this is you know, it's damaging for clients, but it's also particularly damaging for employees because we haven't pointed out their flaws in a nice way and then told mm. them how to step up better. Um, I'm wondering, is there any situations you could talk to 
or you know, share as little or as much as you want. But how do we, how can we make this real for pe- for listeners? It sounds like you're really good at direct, difficult conversations mm. with employees. Where has that been real at work for you? You can think for a minute because appreciate it's not always easy to give an immediate answer. Like. No, I mean, I mean, it's 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 real every day for every project, right? Um, and particularly for with an employee about maybe their behaviour or their skill or like you know. Because this is a leadership project, a re- mm. podcast, I'm really keen that people hear, like, how do you, do you have that difficult conversation when someone's underperforming and it, it feels hard and there's certain things they're not doing well? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's never easy. Like, it's it's always hard. I mean, I think that, so the day-to-day context is more centered around impact because, again, as I say, like, it's a very tricky thing to navigate sometimes. So most times maybe, but um, so those kind of more difficult conversations in how we progress, how we move forward with this idea of impact is never, a, again, it's never that thing of like us versus them. We're collectively trying to figure this out, right? So yeah. those difficult conversations feel less difficult because we're still going towards the same goal. Mm. Um, so it's kind of collective. It's collective, yeah. Approach, maybe. Yeah, it always is. It's always collaborative, always collective. Um, but in the context of something that feels feels more difficult, like you know, like a, um, I'm trying to think of an example, but one where it feels like an us versus them. Um, it's never easy. And I think it's something that, again, you just have to, you have to put your heart on your sleeve about it. I think a very, like a while back, um, we had a client that did a huge amount of scope creep. Um, you know, just asking for things on top of things and seemingly all small, but you put them all together and it's like a huge amount of extra work. Um, and you so on a project base opposed to a day rate or out? No, well, rate. so, yeah, so we don't, we don't do, we don't like really do day rates. Um, so you are committing to some kind of trust around the project? Yeah, but also, I mean, it's it's an area that we've had to learn the hard way again, you know, in terms of just figuring out how we, how we, how we create reasonable pricing uh, for projects, for example. Um, but again, like most of the work we do is relatively long-term because of impact being long-term. You know, it's not really, again, a thing that's done in the space of months. Um, but back then, you know, it was a little bit different. So it was kind of more project-based. So, But with that particular one, that scope creep, it was, it was very difficult because we were basically hemorrhaging money because they were constantly asking for things and the project has gone way over, you know, the deadline. And, and it was because they kept asking for more things that just was getting piled on. So it was just a case of like just putting everything on the table. And I was very transparent with them as well. I was saying, look, we're, we're spending X amount of money on this. And the, the original project value is this. And there's this amount of scope creep that's happened. We've had to bring in additional resource to try and tackle all of this and blah, blah, blah. Um, and again, it was, it was frustrating on both sides. Because again, we both wanted to have a good end product. And we did in the end still. But, but the idea is that, you know, it was just talking it out. And what do you say to them? Well, just just saying just, just saying it. So just like saying, hey, look, I, I need to I need to raise some things and bring some things to your attention. Like it's very difficult for us to work at the moment because there's a lot of additional things coming through. It's stretching us. It's stretching our team. It's um, you know none of this is included in the cost. You know, it's basically just saying it, um, not sugarcoating it, not being around the bush, just. Plainly, plainly saying it and then opening the dialogue around you know, it. You say it like it's really obvious, but it is like it's like standing up to a client like that and I guess protecting your employees, protecting your time and all that is 
still, still not that common, I would say. From, so it's I kind of want to honour that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think now, um, like, I'm, I'm far less afraid of it. So, you know, that's probably why I'm, I'm just saying that. Just say it. Um, but like, what you know, makes you less afraid? Well, I think, again, because the team's more important. That, that's really it. I'm, I am happy to fire a client if we had to, because there's always more work out there. And I'm comfortable, I'm more comfortable speaking with people that are aligned to the way we want to work and, and the type of impact we want to create, rather than people that are constantly trying to um, get the most or squeeze the most out of you, you know? Yeah. And it's not always intentional. It's sometimes just like, you know, like Where they're not aware they're doing it. But, yeah. but again, that's where that communication comes in. We have to just say it, like say, look, this is currently what's happening. We had a project recently where it was a short turnaround, but it was a non-committal basically. And it was for something, I'm not going to say too much about this because I don't want to give away anything. But, um, and again, love them, like love working with them, doing some amazing work that has a potential for like really, really good impact. Um, but we realized in month three that we are putting too much effort into this project. Like we've promised like a set amount, but because we love this project so much, we've, we've really over delivered. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Like we will absorb that cost, but I wanted to make sure that they were aware of that. Right. So having a call with them, speak to them, say, Hey, look, like this is what we value the project. I just want to point out, you know, we, we love everything we're doing. All this other stuff, additional stuff is stuff that we didn't explicitly agree, but we wanted to go ahead and do anyway, because we feel that the start point for this thing needs to be as strong as it can. So I just want to give you uh, and set the expectation that this is what it's cost us every month, you know, like by doing this. And it was about three times what the project value was. Um, and just saying like, you know, for um, like from their perspective, like when, when we re-script the, the next phase of this, you know, I just want you to consider these, you know, and that's really it that's nice for the say. same level of resource, yeah. you know, like, and, you know, we're happy to do it, but then also, you know, I'm happy to have a conversation and, um, figure out what works based on like, you know, your allocated costs, like your timelines, you know, and we'll kind of work, work something out together. Mm. Um, so it's basically just putting it on paper, just mm. saying, this is what it's cost us. We're happy to absorb it. However, please bear this in mind for the next phase because you, you won't get the same for that same amount, mm. basically. I really like that. And it's a really nice way of having like a, I guess, a fixed priced retainer or whatever you're working on. Um, but be able to over deliver and manage expectations about going forward in the next phase. So yeah. that's really, really nice and clear. Oh, we could talk for so long. Matthew, <laughs> but we're going to have to wrap this up. I am. Um, I just kind of like to finish to, to, you know, you, your, your capacity to lead and facilitate is, is clearly very high. How, how do you support yourself? What makes you a better leader or really leaning into those kind of more progressive styles more oh. on a day-to-day habits kind of way? How yeah. do you manage your well-being? To be honest, I could be better at that. Um, I have I have one of those uh, brains that's a blessing and a curse where um, the work the work we're doing feel always feels high priority like you know above everything else so um, which is not great but i'm finding uh, this idea of looking after myself i'm finding joy in the small things that's kind of where i see it at the moment um i can certainly be better at my own fitness for example i know that's a like i need to do that um but my brain is like in the mornings rather than going for a run i'm like i want to get to my desk and i want to kind of get through some stuff um but yeah it's a small thing so um you know, just being able to like 
go for a nice walk and grab a coffee and just be in the moment, you know. And I think that's where I'm finding the joy and the balance for me. It's being fully present in in the moments and kind of creating those moments for myself, you know. So, like, I, I barely use my phone. Like, I don't I don't have any social media. Um, the only thing I use it for is WhatsApp, pretty much. But um, generally speaking, I keep my phone face down, um, try not to be at the computer too long, you know. So I'm kind of very like try to be off screens as much as possible, but hmm. but yeah, you're really off screen as much as possible. What does that mean? How are you? Can you are you on the phone quite a bit? Um, no, no. I mean, I, just so, face to face. Or no, what? it's more like um, it's more like my own well being. So it's kind of just more a case of giving myself the room, the space, you know, um, to to leave something but then come back to it, hmm. you know, feeling like I have a bit more of a fresh perspective or something like that. But yeah, I think for me, it's just the way I would I would think of it or at least see it is this idea of just creating little moments for myself small and these are small things it's like you know I, I love the idea of just a good cup of coffee and a walk in the sun like that to me is great like you know and that's enough for me um but small things like that or just like you know meeting friends and going for a meal and just being in each other's company mm. you know that's kind of it like that stuff is fine like that's like perfect for me that and that's pretty much all I need um so it sounds like integrating into your work day or your or your week that you have moments, like off moments. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's like, you know, this idea of work life, it's not like it's one thing. You know, I care, I really care about what it is that we do. And, and it's it, it's me. It's like, it's not just like a separate part of me. So uh, again, it doesn't always feel like work. Like sometimes it does. Like it gets tedious sometimes. But, um, but it doesn't always feel like work because I care about every single one of our client partners. I care about all our team. I care about everything that we're doing. So... You know, it's a it's a joy and it's a privilege to be able to to be there and to do that and to and you know to just like you know my my team like is constantly inspiring me in so many different ways, um and so yeah so it's like it's it's just a joy being around them you know in that sense and yeah just being able to have those little moments myself as well. Mm, that gratitude is really profound. I like honestly I feel I just feel I feel very lucky. Mm. Like it's it's been a lot of hard work and it still it continues to be but. I feel like both Sarah and I have done a very good job in bringing the right people together, which feels really special and really rare. And so, uh, yeah, just just always keeping that in mind is, is something worth keeping in mind. Thank you, Abdi. I wonder how valuable those small moments are in giving you the headspace to maintain all this open communication, direct conversations that you've been having. I really got the feeling that this is really healthy stuff and that you really step up for your team so thank you for sharing with us well you've been listening to the conscious leaders podcast and i'm ruth frenger i want to facilitate honest conversations with great people leaders so you can learn from their highs and lows and take away sustainable practices and behaviors you can implement straight away for free practical advice on how to build a calm collaborative and productive workplace as well as info on my number one best-selling book next level leadership visit consciousleaders.org.uk.